Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take all your favorite remakes, reboots, and sequels and ask the very simple question, who did it best? I'm CP, this is my amazing co-host D-Man. D-Man, I'm gonna throw it over to you because this week we decided to do something a little bit different than we've done with any of the episodes so far. Right, this is going to be a different episode. Kind of interesting. When I look at it being a remake, a reboot, or a sequel. The two movies that we're gonna be talking about today are actually not any of those three things, but it's our show, so we can do whatever we want. And <laughs> we decided to uh, take two movies that are in fact similar, one is inspired by the other, going ahead and comparing the two. You could probably tell from CP's shirt that one of the movies we're gonna be talking about is Joker. And that movie is inspired by the movie we're gonna put it up against, Taxi Driver. So I know what you're thinking. How can we compare these when they're not <laughs> actually like a reboot or like a soft reboot or anything like that? But I would like to read off some of the similarities from the two movies. And these do make sense once you actually, like if you watch them one after the other, which we did, we did our homework, you can really see how closely they follow plot points, style and aesthetic, inspiration. The similarities are, they both take place in a rundown city. Both the main characters have no friends other than the interactions they have with their coworkers. Both try to have an awkward relationship with a woman. Both keep journals and write aphorisms. Both get a gun and kill for the first time halfway through the movie. There is a very important politician slash kind of father figure role, meant like role in the movie. Both change their appearance near the end of the two thirds mark in preparation for the final act. You know, I think one gets a mohawk, the other one puts on face paint. Yeah, there's transformations. They both have an ambiguous or kind of mysterious ending. The style and aesthetics are clearly very similar. Obviously, Joker is taking direct inspiration from Taxi Driver here. Both have Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> Both do the uh, gun to the head which I believe is Joker doing a direct homage. They both have it. Because let's face it, not every movie does somebody do this. <laughs> this is a spiritual reboot of the film Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver 1976, Joker 2019. If you want to take it even a step further, Todd Phillips, I believe, has many times said that he was highly inspired by Taxi Driver in shooting and writing Joker. And the original director attached to the Joker film was Martin Scorsese, who oh, then wow. went on to be attached as just a producer. These two movies are tightly interwoven, and you can't really watch one without thinking about the other one. Yeah, the way I would describe it as Joker is basically a comic, I'm sure it was pitched this way, a comic book version of Taxi Red. Exactly. Like, that's what it's going to be. To that end, one of the things I want to bring up, each movie had a big impact in the time period it was actually released. Surprisingly, Joker did make a lot of waves. Joaquin Phoenix won the Academy Award for Best Performance, and it is a really great performance. And then I remember, I, well, I don't remember, I wasn't born, but <laughs> I believe Taxi Driver in its time was known for this kind of character study, cinematography and style, and then extreme violence in the final act. Almost, I believe, got it a X rating. Yeah, Scorsese were... had to had to filter the red down, so it's more of a brownish color, so he could actually get it into theaters. Yeah, whatever. I don't know if they had the MPAA back then, but <laughs> it's weird because which one had more cultural impact? 
kind of hard to say. I mean, with Joker, I know this last year, 2020, we saw a lot of people at protests in the street. It wouldn't be too difficult to find a Joker mask out there drawing direct inspiration from the film as there literally is a protest with people in Joker masks. True. Very true. It was a kind of career defining role for Joaquin Phoenix, although he has had many great roles. I don't know that Joker is necessarily the go-to that you would think of for him, but I know for a lot of people that is a career standout. For Robert De Niro, there's literally one of probably the most quotable lines in a movie. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd assume that little monologue has to be, you know, top five, top 10 quotes of all time. You talking to me? You talking to me? <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> you know, like, so there's, there's a lot of cultural impact here. I know Jodie Foster, this was, I think what became her breakthrough role and also redefined what child actors could do on screen. Mm -hmm. Just so much here. I mean, now you look at the impact of Taxi Driver, I believe the person who attempted an assassination on Reagan cited yeah, Taxi Driver. John Hinckley Jr. was essentially uh, motivated by Taxi Driver, which is probably the most horrifying cultural impact in the history of movies. But you almost, it's weird because to the extent that this wasn't its intention, and I don't know that it actually inspired anyone, but the parallels between some of the mass shootings and mass shooters we've seen, this kind of Travis Bickle character from Taxi Driver, are not to well, see a connection upon you know watching it in the late 2010s 2020 something we do need to consider the time that this movie was made america was in the process of getting over a couple major assassinations john f kennedy martin luther king robert kennedy had all been assassinated with almost the 10 years prior to the film that's mm -hmm. something i don't think we take into consideration as much I mean, obviously there was the incident in Haiti recently. Political assassinations are not- Mass shooting. When the film was originally written, these were issues that our culture and people were still feeling the impact of. It probably struck a very different chord with an audience then versus now where- in the Yeah, but it's way. interesting just in the sense that the movie holds up and can be almost like read slightly differently for the time you're watching it. Exactly. Which is quite impressive because that means that this movie has lost- None of its potency. It's actually um, amazing. Sure. Robert De Niro talked about originally when he read the script, he thought this was a movie that would be relevant for the next 50 years. And we're very close to reaching the 50 year mark. It's kind of amazing how, yeah, he's right. You know, we still talk about this in film schools. We still talk about this in society. It's, it's tough because, yeah, I mean, Joker also is one of the most iconic villains. And this movie lived up to the hype and maybe even exceeded it, kind of birthed this new mega villain. The movie does also lean in to the Batman canon and Batman lore, and there's elements of that in there. They do work. If you were to expand on this and everything, I don't think they're necessarily out of place. You know it takes place in Gotham, not New York, and Thomas Wayne and Bruce makes an appearance, Alfred. So it's very much a comic book movie in that sense. It doesn't just ignore all that, say, oh, that's not in our world. It is. And we have to acknowledge that comic book movies in this day and age are massive. They're huge. There's a huge appetite for comic book films. And I think if people were ranking comic book movies of this kind of golden age of comic book films, I mean, the Joker would be up there. Culturally, ooh, they both have had major impact and ramifications. It's tough not to give the nod to Taxi Driver. I mean, I think this is one of the crowning jewels of Martin Scorsese, you know, one of Robert De Niro's best performances. There's it's just, uh, it's so hard. I think you'd have to give the nod to Taxi Driver here. 
I think you're right. It's been such a transformative film in cinema and it launched two of the biggest people in, in the history of film. And uh, I think this was the, is this the second collaboration between them? Yeah, they both worked on Mean Streets. I've read Mean Streets was the proving ground in the sense that when the producers saw the final cut of Mean Streets, they're like, these two guys together, they, they can make this taxi driver movie. It's going to be amazing. So let's talk a little bit about the actual style mechanics of each film. Kind of see who did it better. Obviously, we mentioned Scorsese. I think one of the things we have to get to right out of the gate is the cinematography in Taxi Driver is incredible. Oh, it's amazing. He's framing everything from Travis's point of view. The movie really is a movie about point of view. Like, we're kind of seeing this as he sees it. There's only a couple shots in the movie where they jarringly cut away from his point of view. Most of the time, we're in his space. There's these God shots, like, at the end of the, after the final shootout. Part of the reason is when you shift there, it's a huge abrupt shift for the audience because we're not in Travis's world anymore. When you really focus in on the cinematography choices that Scorsese does, he does these very careful POV shots. He even slows down the scenes where we're looking outside cab through Travis's eyes as he's focusing on the world. And we're almost embodying his prejudices. We know exactly what he's looking at, what he's thinking as he's looking at people. When we see just the cab drive by, it's at normal speed. He's doing this very brilliant thing where he's changing around the frame rate and and our perception to, to know when we are truly in Travis's head and watching the world from his view. Another great scene, I think, is when Travis is meeting with the other cabbie. He's physically uh-huh. there, but Scorsese's focusing on all, all these minute details to show us that even though Travis is in the room, he's not psychologically in the same place as the rest of these characters. They do something really great with color. You know, they're constantly dousing characters in different colors. Adds to this griminess of the world. You can't escape it's dousing you in its color. You're you're a part of it. And what's funny too is like to that end, the Travis character is somewhat of a contradiction because he holds all these prejudices and all this stuff that he sees out of his cab. But often he's kind of doing a lot of the things he tells everybody else not to do. He drinks and takes pills. He goes and hang, hangs out at CD movie theaters. To that end, he's a taxi driver and kind of mm-hmm. aiding a lot of these people getting around. He supports sure. it. It's weird. Yeah. The cinematography really just shows how soaked in it he is even though he feels like he's above it he's not i don't know i thought that was fascinating something else that stands out to me for taxi driver is the use of that theme music that just plays over and over again the redundancy of it it almost tires you out as you hear it again and again at first it's kind of romantic like kind of nice you're like okay and then it keeps playing and you're like oh my god and it gets this very foreboding ominous tone to it yeah and like to me it spoke to the repetition of his life Mm -hmm. this same song keeps playing i was like yeah it gets old on the other side we have the joker which i also think is doing some really kind of fun things theme music wise it has like those really heavy notes i think that works for the movie it kind of has this undercurrent of doom the thing with the joker unlike with travis is we know it's the joke so he's a villain from the outset exactly Exactly. and we kind of get the idea right when the movie starts that this is a transformation movie and we're gonna see him from his current state at the beginning of the movie become the joker by the end and one 
of the things that I love that they do in the movie, which is really great, and it also adds to the iconography for the film, is the way they use that famous staircase. Yeah. Majority of the movie, you see a defeated, beat up Arthur Fleck. He's kind of climbing the stairs to go up to his home. It just is showing like how he has to climb so hard to mm -hmm. get anywhere. But when he transforms into the Joker, he's coming down the stairs and he's dancing, almost descending into madness. You kind of see that the staircase represents that transformation of his character and is also because of that and because of that dance sequence on the stairs, it became an iconic image and an iconic place from the film. I really liked what they were doing there in the Joker. A lot of the colors, the grading, the color grading of the film, it has like these sickly blues, sickly greens. But if you watch, like when they go to the theater, he goes to the theater to go meet Thomas Wayne. It's this nice, warm orange. They're in, you're in a rich person's environment. It's very, it feels like you can relax for a second where a lot of the movie, it's like these, it's very cold. It almost feels like washed out. There's no life. I liked that. I appreciated that. It really added to the tone. And something else, I'm not sure how this necessarily adds to the movie, but I enjoyed it was they have these shots of Arthur normally like in an alley or he's like standing somewhere flipping his sign. These shots have such depth to them. He's maybe in the middle. You have some people passing by in the foreground. In the background, there's a train mm -hmm. or some people on the other side of the alley. They add these like monstrous depth shots, which are fascinating to look at. I'm not 100% sure exactly what they add. I always I thought it was to kind of capture how small Arthur really is in this great big world of That's Gotham. a great point. And for this guy who's alone, to show that you're alone in a place with millions of people with all this activity, I think it just really adds more Perfect. power to his isolation. That makes a lot of sense. I, I do think both movies, um, clearly, if we're noting cinematography and kind of style, Joker is borrowing heavily from Taxi Driver. I'm sure Todd Phillips would call Martin Scorsese an inspiration. <laughs> yeah. We know that that played a role. I, I, at least myself, I have to give the nod to Taxi Driver again for just how uncomfortable the cinematography makes you as we follow and watch this story unfold from Travis's perspective. It makes me uncomfortable. There's a lot going on in Taxi Driver, and especially for the time. Scorsese himself, Robert De Niro himself, both said that they read this story and they were just immediately captivated by it. The screenwriter talks about how writing this story, he said, this is not a film about loneliness. This is a film about pathological loneliness, as he decided, mm. in the sense that we watch as Travis makes decisions to continually isolate himself and drift further and further into his delusions. As an audience, that's kind of an uncomfortable place to be. And yeah, again, it, it just is. goes to show the genius level in what these guys were working on, putting us in the hands and the head of someone mentally unstable. In The Joker, I feel like there's this undercurrent of sadness where, mm -hmm. and when I look at taxi driver there's this undercurrent of anger you even see it play out in the lighting as you were talking about there are scenes that are lit with such heavy red of the of the car lights and the reds of the street lights these things are highlighting travis's growing rage yeah there's a great shot where he drops i don't know what it is like a in like a little thing i can't think of the word maybe like pepto-bismol into like glass and it's like mm -hmm. simmering you see scorsese really come down on that glass and you can almost feel the rage just bubbling up yeah. you know and he's focusing on it and it's almost like travis subconsciously knows 
But what's interesting, you know, there's this sadness for Arthur Fleck, the Joker. I felt almost empathy for the character because he's getting beat up. Therapy sessions and medicine get taken away. He's kind of abandoned. His mom, he has to like care for his mom. I don't feel sympathy for the guy because a lot of it, he's not very self-empowering. But I do feel empathy because I wouldn't want to do a lot of that. You feel bad for him when he laughs uncontrollably. You know, that sucks. Like if you had that problem, yes, that would be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But when I look at Travis, Travis Bickle, I don't end up having very much empathy for the guy. He complains about other people. He talks about how repetitive his days are and like a lot of it i'm like you know what if, if you wanted to change your life you can change your life mm-hmm. like the movie starts off with him it's like dude you took this job as a taxi driver like you do not have to be a taxi driver. you don't have to live in this city you don't want to just get out like go somewhere else and like the joker maybe more rightfully so travis blames a lot of his position and his problems on others He ends up taking that out almost directly on the politician, even though that doesn't come to pass. When he gives the voiceover after he had taken the girl on a date to a seedy movie theater and she was uncomfortable and left and would no longer accept his apology or talk to him, he goes in and berates her, right? He yells at her. And then when he's leaving the VO, he says something like, she's just like all the rest. There's this implication that he's not at fault here. It's her. She's a bitch. She's terrible. He doesn't, it's like, dude, you got to take some ownership. You took this girl to some, I don't care if you're socially awkward, whatever. I mean, that was just a bad take. Like, (laughs) don't do that. You can still make choices in your life. What were you thinking? I think one of the stark differences that I guess I see when I compare Arthur to Travis is Travis takes more decisive action than Arthur. And the two examples I'm going to look at is, well, Arthur does approach a woman about a date. Apparently it's all in Arthur's head. As an audience though, Travis is inconsistent at times and we know he's he has prejudice and bias nothing taxi driver leads us to believe that this is a fabrication he actually goes on a date with this woman he takes some initiative to change his life in the first case the second one there's a scene where he meets with wizard and he says hey there's something going on i'm kind of getting these ideas i'm in a bad place which is again a very proactive step by a character to be like i don't think i should be here only yeah. to have wizardess dismiss it all, shoot it down, say, oh, you're young, go out, party, get laid. It will all be fine. Like, I don't know, man. In fact, I think he even ends the conversation by what the hell do I know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I love that. I love that advice. He literally <laughs> gives this guy advice. And he's literally at like an existential crisis. He talks about, I have some rage. There's something off. You know, he gives him advice. And then he's like, I mean, what do I do? I'm a taxi Wait, driver. Which like, I think part of this is Scorsese and Schrader playing on a very important social topic at the time, which again, I think we are a little numb to as a modern audience, which is Travis is a Vietnam vet. And if Mm -hmm. you read the articles at the end of the film, it talks about how this ex-special forces veteran is who Travis Bickle is. We know at this point, Scorsese is talking a little bit about people went through this Vietnam and they're coming back alone, estranged, confused, and we're not doing anything to actually help them. Yeah. But you mentioned he goes on that date. That's actually a moment in the film where Travis does take action. Like you said, Mm -hmm. And it works out good for him. He talks to this girl. He invites her out. She's kind of intrigued. She says yes to coffee. And then he's like, can I, you know, call you or take you out to a movie? And she says, yes. So it was like when he took action, something good happened. Mm -hmm. And then he screws it up and that's on him. 
But something else then on the other side. So if we're looking at manic loneliness over here, then the other side is an examination of mental health. And I believe Todd Phillips, the director, acknowledged this, correct? Mm -hmm. Joker is taking a look and he expresses this outwardly to Murray at the end, where he's like, what do you get when you cross a mentally ill person with a society that Right. That's kind of the crux of the movie is he's placing all the blame for the position, his position in the world on society at large. When it comes to mental health and that, he's actually he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. He's not wrong. He's saying like, hey, you know, I'm a forgotten if, if I you know, everyone's here crying about these three Wall Street guys that got murdered on a train. He's like, if I died, no one cared. No one cares. You act like you care. No one cares. And he's in this ill mental state. The systems that are in place that are supposed to help him, his medicine, his therapist, all this stuff, they get taken away. His boss at work isn't sympathetic mm -hmm. to the the not his condition, but just his life. Like, he's like, no, I really need this job. Guy's like, I don't care, you're fired. Tossed aside, like, not my problem. The movie does a good job of really trying to get us in his space. What a person, how, how can't be overcome just simply through sheer will? That's kind of my takeaway from the mental health aspect of Joker is that it's not as simple as, hey, I'll just get over whatever mental health issue you have. Like if you have anxiety, a lot of people would tell you just get over it. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. And the movie does suggest that people with mental health issues, they need that support system and they need some sort of systems in place to help get everybody through. Ramifications of not having that are violence. The movie does it through murder, but violence could be any number of things. It could be outbursts. The movie is just suggesting people will explode at some point if you don't have this structure in place. I don't know. That's interesting because, yeah, one is like dealing directly with loneliness, the other one, mental health. I think they both actually do an excellent job of getting you in the headspace of each character. So, one of the things I mentioned at, at the top of the episode was both have somewhat mysterious or <laughs> kind of readable endings. So I'm curious to you, if you look at the movies, the Joker at the end, he's in a, well, I think he's in Arkham Asylum and he's talking to a therapist. The movie suggests from this scene, the rest, almost the entirety of the movie could have been Arthur Fleck's head. That maybe it didn't happen. Maybe that was the ride we went on this guy who's in Arkham. In Taxi Driver, it's almost like the entirety of the movie happened all the way up until the gun to the mm -hmm. head. Mm -hmm. Instead, it has kind of this like epilogue sequence, which almost has like a dream quality to it. The way the camera moves, Travis seems at ease. He's being described as a hero, kind of as if everybody finally recognized mm -hmm. the hero he is. And the movie plays it kind of one of two ways, which either this is a dream and these are the final moments running through his head about how he'll be remembered as he's sitting on the couch dying mm -hmm. or it actually happened. And I felt my interpretation of that final dreamlike sequence was if that is true, then the reading of the film is by the end of that sequence, he's looking back in the rearview mirror, kind of agitated again. It's almost like the movie just starts over from the beginning. The act of violence here being displayed as heroic could have easily been negative and he could have been an assassin. If he explodes again, there's nothing in this movie to suggest that it will be good. I guess I got a couple thoughts uh, just based on what you said. The first thing is Michael Phillips, the director, uh, or not the Todd director. Phillips. Todd Phillips is the director of The Joker. Michael Phillips is the producer of Taxi Driver. 
Okay. So Michael <laughs> Phillips has said that what he found the most compelling part about the screenplay, which he thought Martin Scorsese did a great job of delivering, was this ambiguity. And the ambiguity is the sense that the perception of an action is really shaped by the first person to report it. This is what they're playing with in the sense Ooh, that interesting. we know Travis Bickle intends to assassinate a politician. Right. He's unable to. He goes over and he kills this gangster and he becomes a hero. Mm -hmm. He is not at heart a good person. He is the quintessential anti-hero. Right. He doesn't have good motives. His motives are to kill somebody. He's taking out his rage, yeah. The person that he kills, society perceives him as doing this great act of service and saving this poor girl, Iris. That's what they're playing. There's a couple interesting things we need to unpack. I think one interpretation is, as you said, Travis sees himself as what he wanted to be, a man with a purpose, and he achieved that purpose and as his dying wish, imagining as he's going to be perceived. This guy mm -hmm. who did this great thing. Travis goes into this intending to kill himself. After he shoots everybody, he puts the gun to himself and pulls the trigger twice and nothing happens. Right. That's the first way to look at it. The second way to look at it is, is this a moment of rebirth for Travis? He was a man who was struggling with an identity crisis. He was lacking purpose. He decided hero or villain, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do something. He sees Betsy again. He is reborn as this new Travis on the other side with a sense of identity and purpose. I think the most important thing that Scorsese is doing here is in some ways similar to what I believe Tarantino does at the end of Pulp Fiction. Okay. I think both of them have resorted to say the end of the film is truly about what happened prior to this. In Taxi Driver, it is the scene where he goes in and he makes the murders. Mm -hmm. In Pulp Fiction, we already know the end. We know what happens to Vincent Vega and Jules. Right. What both directors are doing, which I think shows their true genius is they're saying for an audience, these are not satisfactory endings. Though the story is concluded, we are leaving the audience with an emotional ending that they crave after watching these films that are so heavy and violent and potentially disturbed. Let's let that's them walk out with that sense of closure. And I think that that's what's being done. I think when we compare the ending to the Joker, the problem that we run into is we are going to know what that scene meant when we watch the Joker 2. Yes. If they do make a sequel, it would be almost impossible not to address the ambiguousness of that ending, which we find would, would kind of suck. Either the Joker did it, or we find out he is just this delusional person in Arkham who has imagined things. We get a definitive answer either way with what is going on there. And I think that that is one of the shortcomings with Todd Phillips is ending in The Joker. Both films do erupt in violence and they're both really violent. The Joker uses that one shot of the Joker shooting Murray live on TV to great effect. It was shocking in the theater when you saw it. It's gruesome. It definitely hits that violent tone. But you look at Taxi Driver and the violence at the end there. I mean, he, he kills how many people? Three, three, four, mm -hmm. quite a few. You know, one of the things that's interesting, at least I found interesting, was when you talk about his intentions, he almost has like this savior complex with the little girl because he is telling her to get out. He knew where these bad people were and he went there deliberately to kill them. But I mean, his rage, if he was going to assassinate a politician, his rage could have erupted really the way he describes it, driving around his taxi anywhere on the street. He did intentionally, I think, he went there to save her, to do something. Like you said, he's doing something. He definitely went to make sure that, hey, if I'm going to do something, I'm going here. I'm going to take that guy out. I hate that guy. What was his name? Sport or something? Sport, yeah. The the pimp. Ah, oh, that guy's so annoying. Who is he played by? Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Who Harvey was Keitel. also in Scorsese's Mean Streets with Robert De Niro. That guy, I hate that guy. 
You almost feel like when Travis is standing there and he's looking at him and he's like, get out of here. But then he keeps talking to him and you're like, oh, I just want to punch you in the face. Uh, Punch you in the face, not shoot you. (laughs) The violent endings contribute to this overall sense of kind of sadness at the end. Neither of these people could actually escape what was their trajectory. They both did lash out violently. We're left to kind of deal with the fallout as the audience. which does kind of suck because there's lots of action movies, right? Go watch First Blood or there's movies where people get killed all the time. Why is this violence so violent? Why did it almost need an X rating? Was it just the blood? No, I think it was the intention behind it. You know, it's, it's violent in a sense where we're like, this is like terrible. This is like evil as opposed to- Right, yeah. This isn't a horror, a slasher film where clearly they're doing it for scares and, you know, you just, if he's going to kill people, you got to show how he kills people. It's like, no, this is like, this is a terrible outcome. Violence exemplifies that. What you said, what we take with us about loneliness or mental health, you're like, damn, I don't, I don't want that outcome. I don't want to see that. Final thoughts. I want to throw it over to you because I feel like we didn't necessarily get to a CP rant yet. And I want to just get your thoughts. What do you think of the Joker? I feel like you're like trying to cue me up for something here that I don't think is fair to me (laughs) or our audience. You can just say pass. This is probably a good point. Just in case some fanboy tries to call me out, I am very aware that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker and the Heath Ledger Joker, like on my shirt, are different Jokers, just FYI. I was really disappointed when I saw Joker in the theater the first time. Okay. Because it is so rooted in replication of Taxi Driver. I didn't feel the originality. For one, let's just start there. What Martin Scorsese is doing in Taxi Driver is genius level storytelling and filmmaking, things that could teach an entire course on Taxi Driver to film students. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And what Todd Phillips is doing is imitating Scorsese's work. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think he is a genius in his own right in making the film when he's essentially just taking someone else's formula and reproducing it without the same intent or the same result. I think there is so much depth as Martin Scorsese is exploring the ambiguity. And I don't think we get that level of ambiguity. And part of it is because we know who the Joker is. We know where he's going at the end. Whereas we're on this ride with Travis moment by moment, trying to decide, is this man a hero? Is this man a villain? I don't know. What's he going to do? This is literally us as an audience following around this mentally unstable person to figure out what this is going to result in. And it's horrifying. Whereas the Joker, we know where he's going. He's going to become the Joker. Two, while Joaquin Phoenix is amazing, I feel that when we compare it to other Jokers, namely Ledgers, it's not the same character. And I know the comic books have so many different interpretations of what the Joker is. I think that in some ways, the Joker would be a better movie if it was not called the Joker. It was called Hmm. Arthur Fleck, dude who can't get access to his medicine. You you think it would be better if you removed the actual Joker element and maybe the movie, while drawing inspiration from Taxi Driver, was maybe a little bit more deliberate in exploring something like mental health, where we go on this ride, but we don't know the outcome. It's almost some of the nods to Gotham, almost in some ways read as fan service. And I think detract from the greater story that Phillips is trying to say about mental health. And I'm like, if you're going to make a movie about mental health, you have something really good here. Strip out the little kid, Bruce Wayne, strip out the assassination of the Wayne family. You can keep those in But when you remove it totally from this world of Gotham, I think it's a much more powerful story. Well, like you said, it would change. One of the things that the Joker, some of the baggage it brings with it is we know the trajectory of the character. 
from the outset. Like you mentioned with the ending, one of the things that makes taxi drivers so uncomfortable is at the end, Travis gets labeled a hero. Mm -hmm. And for us, the people that were in his head, we saw his point of view. We're like, this guy's not a hero though. Did he do something? Like he saved a little girl? Yes. But we're like, I don't think so. That's what makes Taxi Driver truly interesting. And granted, like I said, as far as Arthur Fleck and the Joker are concerned, I definitely do have empathy for that character. The movie doesn't shy away from the fact that he is almost self-aware. Murray even says like, you just blame everyone else for your problems. But the movie is suggesting heavily, if we just use that excuse, you're going to get a negative outcome. I enjoyed that kind of take on it. But yeah, I think the ambiguousness, the kind of wondering, we know where it's going. We're just waiting for it to happen. We know he's going to be the Joker. Both these characters descent into madness. I think that the scene where Bickle first kills someone during the robbery, we know he has prejudices at play. It's a different act than when Fleck kills people on the subway when essentially he's getting harassed by a couple of drunks. Yeah, in that case, it's more self-defense. You know, he does murder them in cold blood. He could have just fired the gun and they would have scattered and he does murder. It's much more in an act of self-defense where Travis does it proactive. He's just in a little bodega or, Mm -hmm. you know, a little mini mart. This guy holds it up, you know, and he just walks up behind him and he's like, bam. Again, Mm -hmm. from a point of view, that's a heroic act. The guy thanks him. Literally, he's like, oh, I've been held up four times this month already. Like, thank you. And we can see how that action could propel Travis further down his path. Whereas when we watch Fleck, he murders these three guys, like no one else is around. It's anonymous. No one else is giving him any sort of feedback and if he did a good thing or a bad thing and he just runs off and suddenly this has begun his, his total slide into insanity. And he's like, you know what? I'm now a killer. And I just I do I don't like- think it's quite as, as compelling as what we're watching with Bickle. There is a line in Joker, which I really like. I don't remember who he tells. He says something along the lines of like, I did something bad and I thought it would affect me. And he's like, I don't really care. And I, I liked that line a lot because it was an acknowledgement of maybe what he's held him back. talking to the guy in uh, Arkham, the file okay, clerk. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm just a file clerk, man. Yeah, and he's like t- explaining to him. He's like, you know, I thought it would like affect me. I thought mm-hmm. I would hate myself. And he's like, you know what? I really don't. Like, I kind of liked it. That always kind of blew my mind because you can see then the fragile state of someone where right and wrong were basically, how do you think this will make you feel? He essentially held back from doing violent things because he thought it would selfishly make him feel worse about himself. But once he did the thing, he was kind of like, not really. So like you said, that is the propulsion, that realization for him that he's like, you know, I guess I can commit violent acts. I realize now that I don't care. I'm going to do it. When we see the scene with Arthur attacking his clown buddies, it's not the same thing as Bickle when you compare if Bickle's greatest act of violence is when he goes in and shoots the gangsters, right? Mm-hmm. It's very different. The one with Fleck is much more gory. I mean, he's stabbing oh, a dude yeah. multiple times with a blade. Right through his scissors. Eye. And then he's totally fine letting the other one go. And we see just how delusional he is. I just think they play out differently in the sense that you're watching the Joker and you're like, you know, he's just a psychopath. He is a cold-blooded killer. Where you're watching Bickle and I just think that it's 
a much more complex exploration of character because as an audience, we don't know what to think about him. He's doing horrible things. At the end of the movie, we're told he did good things. We don't know. Is he good? Is he bad? He's just a confused, crazy person. And I think that's the intention when we're looking at these issues of, of loneliness and mental health and PTSD that we're looking at in Taxi Driver. I think you need the audience to walk out being horrified and confused at the same time because for a lot of these things, there's not a clear answer. Right. I do think both movies, they do it really well. Um, if anything, to its credit, Joker definitely gets you thinking about it. You don't leave with necessarily like a clear answer or a clear perspective, but it does kind of get you to a place where you can't help but think about, you know, mental health conditions and how we do certain things. Yeah, Taxi Driver has us kind of questioning not our own morality, but just how we perceive the things that the world presents to us. Mm -hmm. right this guy's a hero it makes you think like is he can someone Doesn't act be very so, heroic <laughs> yeah can someone be so one-dimensional like when you read a news story now you know you never know like maybe that guy like beats his kids at home and that's behind closed doors yeah. just because he did one heroic act doesn't mean this is a golden person taxi driver allows us to take nuance and say don't look at people so one-dimensionally you can judge the act that does not encapsulate people Absolutely. are more than that and i think we like to kind of deify those people right we assume they must be if you or did this or act condemn right on the opposite like someone does one bad thing and we're like they must be a, a horrible terrible person and you're like that probably isn't true they did mm -hmm. one bad mm -hmm. thing taxi driver really gets me to come back and think about my own biases and conclusions that i make about people and that's i think the power of taxi driver is now I will think that someone does a bad thing. You're like, at what point are they rotten to their core or did they just do a bad act? This happens in society. You know, someone will go through their old social media just to like tear them down or where we don't leave room for that nuance. And taxi drivers suggest you really should leave some room for the nuance because people are so much bigger than that one act. I guess that takes us to our conclusion of the discussion. <laughs> we have to pick Joker versus Taxi Driver. Which one did it better? Throw it over to you first and let's get well, your conclusion. Well, I'm, I'm sure the audience knows where I'm heading. I already told you my bias. I told you I was disappointed when I walked out of Joker. And it's really because this movie right here, Taxi Driver, I think is one of the most genius film ever made. When I look at Scorsese, I think for this amazing, talented director, how can you not look at this as kind of his crowning achievement? One <laughs> and of then the he made good roles. For, yeah, I, I, I know, man. You look at Robert De Niro and you're like, what an amazing performance an actor could give. I can't think of a character study that does a better job of putting us in someone's head and just saying, audience, just hold on. We're going to take you on a ride. Horrifying. It is shocking. It is quite an experience when you finish watching the movie and you think, man, I don't ever want to be in that dude's head again. I just want to stay in my own because that was way too much. The lasting impact of the film, we're still talking about it today. It's still relevant. Scorsese talks about when he does screenings, how people still want to talk about Taxi Driver. Loneliness yeah. is an issue, right? It is a chronic issue in not just this country, but in the world. And Never it's really away. amazing that they made a film getting to the heart of it and trying to unpack it. And I think that's part of the reason why it sticks around too. I think there's a lot of people who can relate to something. Sure. I just think it's such an amazing film. Look at the Joker. I couldn't help but seeing so much Taxi Driver that it's one of those movies where I walked out and I thought I should have spent two hours watching Taxi Driver and I probably would have gotten more out of it. And no offense to Todd Phillips, 
It's an interesting look. I like that he is playing very open about the fact that he's playing homage to something. Just for me, it wasn't my cup of tea. I was a bigger fan of Taxi Driver. I think it did did it better. And that's what I'm going to sit with. Yeah. And I think that's fair critical analysis because by basically making like a comic book version of Taxi Driver, he's inviting that comparison. I think by closely following the plot points, using the same t- aesthetic and different things, you invite this episode of the podcast. For example, right? I think had Todd Phillips said, hey, we're going to be inspired by Taxi Driver. And this is going to be a character study in the same light, but let's set it in present day. So it's not okay. so much much a replication, a remake of Taxi Driver. I think it would have been easier for me to look at the Joker and, and really judge it on its own merits where you say, hey, you're inspired by this, but you're clearly doing something different and original. I mean, someone could take that premise and run with it and go make a movie. It doesn't have to be the <laughs> Joker. You could do an exploration of loneliness. I, I don't want to see the kind of like tired pandemic thing. I'd love to see someone just exploring, like you said, contemporary 2021. What, Especially what since loneliness now is so much... Uh, more a side effect of technology and social media and things like that, that weren't a part of Travis Bickle's experience. Yeah. Ironically, I think there is somewhat of an exploration of that a little bit, but it's futuristic with Joaquin Phoenix in her, Mm -hmm. where they do, they do kind of take a look at technology and our relationship to it and loneliness. And, you know, (laughs) so uh, that's a futuristic look. Maybe we'll see a 2022. So we're skirting the question. What's your thoughts? The audience knows what I think, and they probably are going to send me a bunch of hate on social media and that's fine. I mean, I don't care. What do you yeah, think? which one did it better? I have to go with Taxi Driver for a lot of the same reasons that you listed. But I do want to take a moment here and acknowledge I didn't leave the theater disappointed when I saw Joker. I was enthralled. They, the movie had me the whole time. I was never bored. Joaquin Phoenix, a great, great performance. He has been rightly awarded for that. I think Todd Phillips, as far as doing a remake or at minimum, like this kind of grand homage to one of clearly his favorite films, I assume. I honestly, I think he does a really good job. You're answering the question, which one does it better? I think Taxi Driver still does it better. Joker does it really well. And I appreciated the shift from loneliness to mental health, getting that conversation going. Even though, like you said, the comic book elements, you know, if you're going to call it Joker and you're going to do that, I had fun with those. I mean, mm-hmm. they're fun. They're cool. Like mm-hmm. you said, some of them are a little fan servicey, but they work like Thomas Wayne into the story. The, some of the mentions, you know, it's kind of it's kind of cool. So I enjoyed that as well. I mean, which one did it better? It's Taxi Driver. I really, I thought the Joker, excellent work. It was cool. I did read apparently Bruce Wayne was supposed to be killed in the sequence when Martha and Thomas oh. Wayne are murdered in the first draft of the screenplay, which I'm like, that's just mind blowing. How can you make yeah, a don't Joker do that. movie with no Batman? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Audience, what do you think? What did you like better? Have you seen Taxi Driver? Have you seen The Joker? What's your preference? Let us know. This is actually a debate that we get in a lot as filmmakers. Oh, it was fun to discuss. So I'd really like to know your thoughts. And if you are a strong defender of The Joker, hit me up on social media because I'd like to see your reasoning and and hear why. Other than that, we're actually going to continue this trend next week where we're going to be talking about another comic book movie. This time we're going to be comparing David Ayer's Suicide Squad with James Gunn's Suicide Squad. New movie again. Let's figure out who did it better. In the meantime, you can hit me up at NDCal5. You can hit D-Man up at Big Kid D-Man. Yeah, be sure to continue the conversations. Subscribe, follow along on social media. You can find us any major social media channel as well as YouTube. And we're on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify. Be sure to subscribe. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back next week.